This episode of the Jason Cavins Experience is a replay of when I was a guest on the Jumbo Think Podcast. Hope you enjoy it. This is the Jason Cavins Experience, hosted by Jason Cavins. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hey there, welcome to the Jumble Think Podcast. My name is Michael Woodward. I am your host and so glad that you've chosen to join us for today's episode with Jason Kavnis, the founder and CEO of Kavnis HR. Now let's take a moment and learn a little bit more about today's guest, Jason Kavnis. My name is Jason Kavnis. My business is Kavnis HR and my role is I'm CEO and founder of the company. The vision for Kevin's HR is to provide HR to all companies in the United States for less than 50 people by using existing technology. So this idea actually came to me late in life. I was uh, I retired from the United States Army after 25 years, and during my transition, a guy named Mark Monroe reached out to me about a startup called My Unfold. He asked me, how does the, the Army help people transition? And I was, well, what is a, is a startup? Because I had no clue what it was. So we met up, he explained what our startup was, and I, and, I, and I worked for him for a couple of years. But during that time period, I realized that most startups in the small business don't have HR. And according to the Small Business Administration, over 500,000 businesses start every month as over 5 million in the United States. Most don't have HR because of high cost. I know an HR person, 50,000, 100,000 per year. HR goes on $150 to $400 an hour. And so I thought, you know, maybe I might have a business idea to provide HR to uh, companies with less than 50 people. And from January to June of 2016, I reached out to 331 small business owners and told, my, told them about my idea. And 71% said it would be a good idea. So I've just been taking it from there. So this is one thing I, I, I brings me a lot of joy, a lot of happiness. I was born one time with some friends and um, one of my friends, he's in, he's in college. And I asked him, are you still in college? He said, yes. What, tell me again what you're studying. He said, civil engineering. I said, you graduated this year? He said, no, I graduated the next year. And he said, well, you know, I've been trying to get an internship. And it's, it's just hard to get an internship. You know, I've had to apply for 10 and nothing so far. And then a light bulb in my head, like, Jason, you know, the COO of one of the biggest civil engineering firms in Seattle, who happened to be in the Mark Monroe, the guy we, we just talked about. So I sent him a text message and said, hey, you know, I know this guy looking for internship. Can I send him your way? And he instantly replied, Jason, you must have read my mind. I'm right now filling out a job description for an internship. And I was able to get him that internship. Just by doing that, and last I checked, he's doing who's doing real well, and he's and I think he's gonna get a job offer. So I like this. I like doing things like that. I do try to do that things like that all the time to my best of my ability. So people don't, don't realize this, but according to research, bad HR or risky HR costs small business twenty nine billion dollars a year, and that comes out to like maybe like um, around one thousand dollars per employee. So if you have a, a company with twenty employees, you're losing twenty thousand dollars per year on bad HR. And I just want to provide a solution to put some money back in the money of small business they use on, on better things and it's, you know, basically thrown away. They use the money from the R&D, improving the company and, 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 and reimbursing their employees. There's always something to overcome is, you know, either, you know, trying to figure out the marketing, the sales, the competitors. Like in my, in my space, there's 1,400 competitors throughout the United States. So it's, it's, it's a crowded market. It, it, every day is a new challenge, as most people's startups know. Our next, next big goal is right now we have one customer. Our goal is to have 10 customers at the end of the year. And that, I know that might seem a lot, but like I tell people all the time, we know we're not selling candy bars. 
or sodas. It's going to take 10, 15, 20 touches for people to come around and actually, you know, pay for our services. So it's going to take a lot of networking, a lot of marketing, a lot of, a lot of one-on-ones, and a lot of social media if we can, before we can reach that goal. Super excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking time out and being on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. In the process of reinventing yourself, you spent most of your career as a U.S. Army officer, and now you're transitioning back into uh, kind of the business world of things. Tell us a little bit about um, that transition of going from uh, one career and reinventing, discovering a new passion and diving into a new realm of what you're going to be doing next. It's it's been an amazing journey. It's, you know, as mo- people may or may not know, when you transition to the military, some people have a difficult time, some people have an easy time. Because in the military, you're, there's a set way to do things. You're expected to be aggressive, type A personality. And the civilian ward is sometimes that's not appreciated. Yeah. And another big thing that's been helping me out is just like my ability to learn. You know, you have to learn as much as you can in, about anything when you do this transition. And you got to be really willing to open yourself up to new ways to do things. You got to be willing to meet people. And, and you have, one thing have, you have to realize that your way is not the only way to do things. You have to be open to other possibilities and other changes. Before we dive too much further in the episode, I, I do want to take a moment and pause and thank you for your service to our country and giving of your life uh, for us here. It's a privilege to have you on just because I know your story is one that can inspire many lives. So thank you for your service and, and giving of yourself. And I want to thank you for paying your taxes to pay my salary to give me such a great way of life. <laughs> um, okay. So you mentioned uh, before about that you're, you're learning, you're constantly learning. How do you balance learning new things? And, you know, especially in the world of HR, you're getting into this new space and it's this constant learning process. How do you keep up with uh, learning new things and growing uh, your knowledge base so you can grow your business? It's hard. I'll admit it, you know, because sometimes, you know, there's so much to learn. Like just, I mean, you think like you have to learn by sales, marketing, social media, yeah. financials. Yeah. And there's so much involved with it. HR. HR is constantly revolving. And most people don't know HR is actually different between, between the location you're at. Like here in the state of Washington, those different HR laws for Tacoma, Seattle, and the rest of the state. Like Seattle has like, the minimum wage laws is based on the number of employees per company. Yeah. And there's always something to learn it on. And there's always, and there's always so much to digest out there. And it's, and, it's, and it's a process, but sometimes, and you're correct, you know, sometimes I think people spend too much time learning, too much time, too much time networking, not building their business. So there's definitely a balance you have to watch for. Yeah, we, we call that working in your business and working on your business. Uh, you are in the space of uh, HR. Let's define what HR is uh, and what you do. So for HR, it's has one thing most people don't realize how expensive it is. is yeah. Those businesses out there that only do payroll, that okay. only do culture, only do engagement. So it's very expensive. And I, like me, I, I try to compare HR to like a five-legged school. Because if you're HR, you have to take care of your employees, your executives, your business partners. And also you have to take care of the customer of your business. And at the, five, at the same time, do compliance. So there's five things you got to do. And we're not Superman or Superwoman, so you can't do all five things great. You just right. have to learn how to prioritize based on your boss and company. Sometimes you have to take care of your boss. Sometimes it's compliance. And some people HR do a good job of that. I think some people don't. And also, I think right now in HR, there's a HR of yes and the new HR and HR no and the old HR. But by that, I mean, in the HR old is like, you know, the answer is always no. 
we don't do that. Um, that's not my job. Well, the HR knew is more like, well, technically we can't do that, but let me work with you, try to way to find a way we can legally do that. And, and, and HR new tries to bring value. HR of old, like just stays in the office nine to five and that's it. HR new walk, walks around, they'll go down the, to the production plant, production line, they learn everybody. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to be like HR new. That's very cool. And and you mentioned payroll there. I, I'm assuming payroll might be a part of HR, but there's so much more that you do. Can you explain some of the tasks that an HR representative would do for an employee? So it, it can be anything. If you're like an HR journalist, it could be anything from onboarding, I-9s, payroll benefits, recruiting. I mean, that's just so much to it. Engagement, it's just so much to it that people have to do. Okay, so there's a lot going on there, and uh, it's a very important role. I've I've had uh, I've run a business since 2009, and uh, uh, one of the hardest things that I had to do or have to do as a boss is deal with employees, or as a business owner, I guess is a better way of saying that is dealing with employees. At what point does a business need an HR? company like yours to step in and be a part of their team? Are we talking like one employee, two employees, 10 employees, 50 employees? Like, what does that look like? I mean, it depends on each company. I mean, definitely by the time you have 50 employees, you just need, I would say you need HR. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> some are you need it at one employee. Some say don't. I would say as soon as you can, just to help you with stuff like hiring, because, you know, most, most people that start hiring, they hire the people that know. HR person can tell, well, you know what? Maybe we need to expand your your, hire, your hiring horizon. Maybe you need to bring a diverse team, stuff like that. And, and HR is one of those things that people know they need to do it, but they really don't want to do it. I think anytime you have something that requires government compliance, it, it becomes very scary for a business owner, whether it's tax compliance, whether it's payroll compliance, whether it's HR compliance, it just becomes overwhelming because there's so much to know and so much to do. When you have a person like you that you can depend on uh, and be that, that leaning post in which you can say, Hey, I know how to run a business or Hey, I need, I know what I need to know to, to offer the services and products that we do, but I have no idea about HR. How do you become an advocate for them? So one thing I, I tell potential customers is that HR is for the company, is not for an employee. A lot of people think HR is for the employee, but it's really not. The job of HR is to protect, protect the company and the CEO. Okay. Now, of course, if the company does something wrong, HR should go to them and say, hey, you know, this isn't right, this is illegal, and this is the potential things that could happen to you. But at the end of the day, HR is, is part of the company. And so just telling the company, hey, I'm not here to, you know, lead an employee uprising. <laughs> I'm not here for the employees. You know, I'm here to, like to be fair and balanced and, and provide you the help you add and help add value, help you build your company as best I can. So you really are an advocate for the employer, uh, and you are doing and watching what's out uh, best for the employer. But you're also taking care of those employee needs as they arise, whether it's a question about. Uh, some kind of, I, I don't even know what an employee would come and ask you. Can you explain a little bit about that? So example, one time I was an HR manager, I tried in seafood when I got out of the army. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, so downstairs, this is a seafood plant. It's really loud. They were the safety um, items on the ears. Yeah. All the time people come to me and say, my supervisor is yelling at me. And I always respond. So is he yelling at you? Or is he talking loudly because it's so loud? He only makes me sure that you, you're hearing what he says. Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just stuff like that, you know. 
And another thing too, a lot of employees, a lot of times they think HR is like the bad guy. Because yeah. sometimes I would like call people out the office and, and like tell them something new and they're like, oh, thank God, I thought you were going to fire me. Like, no, <laughs> no, you know, we only don't, you know, we do, like we tell you good stuff too. Yeah, that's so good. How do you help companies find good employees? Because you, you mentioned that that's one of the things that a good HR company, uh, company will do or an HR team will do is instead of going to that pool of who you know, an HR team can help you find the experts or the professionals in your space that can really take your business to the next level. Yes. So there's a term that gets thrown around I call culture fit. And that's a term I really don't like. Because okay. when I, whenever I hear somebody say, well, I didn't hire this person as culture fit, I kind of cringe because like culture fit doesn't mean that, that they're not didn't fit your mode or didn't fit your, the kind of employee you want. So I think companies should more um, hire more on, on cultural values or, or charitable values instead of cultural fit. Find people who share your values and be open, like going to the different avenues. So example, a lot of companies nowadays that say, you know, they want to like hire diverse people, you know, open the, the pool. What will they do? They still keep on going to the same places. You know, they keep on going to the same, you know, majority of white schools. I mean, good. Have they gone to HBCU? Do they know what HBCU is? Are they open to like new possibilities? And, you know, are you only hire like people with a certain type of education, you know, open up your, your viewpoints. Basically with employees uh, for onboarding them, one of the things that you can be doing is thinking outside the box on the pools and what you look for those employees and, and diversify, not just by uh, trying to fit a specific mold of what diversity diversification looks like, but actually go in and uh, look at different people that you may not consider normally traditional fits, but maybe they have a different school background. Instead of going to a university, maybe they went to a trade school or instead of a, um, a trade school, maybe they went through an apprenticeship. Like look for people that maybe other people are overlooking. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. I mean, if you keep on going to the same places over and over again, I mean, of course you don't get the same type of people. Right. And they might, they might be great people, great qualified case of skills, but you're not really bringing in different viewpoints and different ways of doing things, which will probably make your company better. What are some of the biggest downfalls uh, that businesses or, or, or mistakes businesses make when it comes to HR? I mean, there's, there's so many. So I have one customer now and I went, went in there and like, all the i were completely misfilled. So... Well, I-9 is, is a form that says, basically says that the employee has the right to work in the United States. Okay. And the employee has to sign, the employee has to sign, it has to be some kind of documentation. So example, one of them, the employee signed it, but no signature from the company and there's no copy of anything, stuff like that. And most people don't know this, but usually regardless of your company, you have to have like your labor posters posted somewhere. Right. Like here in the state of Washington, there's like 30 different labor posts you have to have to post it up. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and then you have to do your oath report is the, I forgot what the OSA stands for, but it's basically a safety organization, United States government. Right. Where basically you list down all the accidents and all those things that happen. And people don't, most people don't realize from one April to 20, well, one, excuse me, one February to 30 April of each year, you got to post all the accidents from the previous year. So your employees can look at it and see what kind of, if you have a safe tech company or unsafe company. Wow. I mean, I mean, this is so much HR. I mean, even like when you, when you pick a salary, are you paying them too high or too low? Yeah. And all of that is all that's involved with that. You know, are you, are you paying them too low? Well, they're probably going to leave you pretty soon. That means you have to go the whole process all over again of recruiting somebody. Right. Are you, are you paying them too high? You know, other employees going to find that out. Yeah. And they're going to, you know, get, you know, ask, ask where the money's at. You know, this new guy's didn't pay 25% more than I did. Why is that? Is there so, so much to it? Yeah. 
Now you mentioned at the beginning that uh, the cost of no or bad HR is estimated to be at $29 billion. What are some of the costs that add up uh, in a negative way for bad HR practices or no HR process? Let's suppose you have an empty position and you don't feel it because you can't, you can't figure out your recruiting process. So that position is not feel, so your other employees have to, you know, fill, fill that role. Yeah. So that's less time they have to do their own job. Or recruiting yourself, maybe you don't have a good recruiting process and it takes too long. Suppose uh, an employee files a complaint against you and the EEOC finds you, you know, non-compliant. That might be a fine. There's so many ways. But one thing I do want to talk about is there's a lot of people that you think that, you know, oh, we got to be compliant and all this stuff. And you do have to be compliant. But the, the one thing I, I try to my customers, just this is the right thing. And it's going to be, you know, everything's going to work out, you know, take care of your employees. Mm-hmm. Cause the fact of the matter is the United States government or state government doesn't have enough people to, like go around to every business yeah. and check you every <laughs> single day. Right. The, the reason they come around is because somebody filed a complaint against you and he's usually just going to employee. Okay. But the trick is when they come, like let's suppose the employer files a complaint and said that you made them work through um, lunch hour. Yeah. Well, when they come to check that they, they check, they're going to go check everything. Just not that. So that's the danger when they come. They, they look into everything. So that's where the danger comes. They, then they find every different thing. So usually you're doing one thing wrong. You're probably doing 90% of things wrong. Wow. So I think the key is like, make sure your employees are happy and be upfront with them. Yeah. As so best you can. So these situations can snowball really quickly where one thing triggers a whole bunch of other things. Yes. Wow. That's crazy. Now I want to pivot a little bit. I know that you're super active in the tech startup space in uh, Seattle, Tacoma. Um, Tell us a little bit about that community up there from the tech sphere and startups uh, and what that looks like. It's just a strong community up here. I mean, and as you were thinking, you know, we have Amazon, Microsoft, yeah. Expedia, yeah. all these tech companies up here. And, you know, University of Washington has a strong computer science program. University of Washington, Tacoma. There's like several colleges have strong computer science programs. And there's a big push to keep talent here. And it, it's really, really booming right here. And I, so there's a, a website called AngelList, www.angelList.com. Yeah. I, I like to call it the, um, the LinkedIn for startups. Okay. If you go on there, <clears throat> you can do queries. If you um, just type in Seattle startups and like jobs, there's like 331 startups in the Seattle area who, who are hiring people, wow. which is like an un, un, um, it was pretty good and un, untapped source for people to find jobs. Yeah. And, there's always, and there's so much networking events up here. Sometimes people, like you say, get too involved in networking and not building a product, but Pretty much every day, there's a networking event somewhere in Seattle, Seattle, Tacoma, and they're all great events. And the best thing, everyone here helps each other out. Now, once have I seen anybody ask for something, the other person said, no, and I have time. It's always all, at the worst, it's, I don't have time or time right now, but let's reconnect next month. Wow. Well, it sounds like a very supportive community then. Yes, very supportive. Tell us a little bit more about your transition back into uh, the startup world, because as you make this transition, what spurred on... Uh, I'm assuming you probably retired from the army. Uh, what spurred this uh, desire to to do a startup and not just look for another job or something like that? I mean, I, I guess like, it's kind of like we call it the startup bug. I got involved in community, all the openness, all that kind of stuff. I just, I just, I just hooked on. I got addicted to the adrenaline, the new ideas, the new business, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just amazing. It's like it gets in your blood. You just want to like do more and more and all the great people and, and all the great ideas. I mean, you hear an idea like, Oh my goodness. Like <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. Or you like, you're doing, you're doing what? <laughs> like, how can you even think of that? Much less you're about to ex- execute it. Wow. I mean, there's so many great things. 
Wow, that's so cool. You also host a podcast, uh, Cavernous HR Podcast. Tell us about that and what it's all about. The podcast started as um as a way to, to uh, market my business. So last year, around June, July, I found a podcast by a guy named, a guy named John Lee Dumas. Yeah. He has a podcast, Entrepreneur Fire. Yeah. And so I took his free podcast course and just went from there. And the original intent was like, just have it, you know, have the podcast as a marketing tool. But as you know, it's turned a whole different beast. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's been so much fun. And it's, and it's um, paid off in ways I've never imagined. So I, I recently... Um, Formed my board of, board of advisors for my startup. Okay. Four of the five board of advisors were people who are, who are guests on my podcast. Wow. So I wouldn't even have this without the podcast. I, I got like three or four potential customers from the podcast. It's, it's just been great. The different stories mean different people. And people always say, well, how do you get all these great guests and how these people <laughs> be on your show? I like, I asked. Yeah. They either say yes or they say no. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and most of them, like 80% say yes. Because as you know, we do our best to put the highlight on our guests and show the best of our guests the best we can. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. What's probably one of the biggest takeaways you've had from a guest on your podcast? Ooh, that's a great question. There's, there's so many things, so many things to learn. So I'll kind of, kind of change the answer. One, one guest I liked was, was Kenna McAllister. Okay. She, had a, she has a great story. Yeah. So I think she's in mid-20s. And she used to be um cancer, I think either HIV research or cancer research or research at Hutchinson, Fred Hutchinson Hospital here in Seattle. Yeah. What she does now, her business is called Stembox. So every month her, she sends us a small science box out to kids seven to twelve years old. Oh, cool. To help, in, to help increase STEM. Yeah. And and there's so many ideas like that out there. And they all they all give great advice. But the best advice I really can't answer right now. Okay. All right. Uh so you mentioned that you're in the process of doing a startup. I'm, I'm assuming that's the Cavanus HR is your startup. Is yes. that right? Okay. So yes. as you've done that, what has been maybe some of the things that have surprised you in the process of doing a startup? Because I think so many people start startups um, and one, they don't know what to expect or look for, but two, what it turns out to be isn't exactly what uh, they perceive from stories from others or things they've seen on TV or whatnot. So what are some of the biggest takeaways you've had in the process of doing your startup? Yes. I mean, so many people out there think, oh, I'll start a company and, you know, in six months I'll be Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and it's like nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. It's, right. it's a long process. Like, I got this idea back in January 2016 and now almost two years later, I'm still in the process trying to build up, trying to learn new things. I mean, it's, it's, it's just so, so much involved in a startup. Yeah. Just the, 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 the learning, the focusing, the, the pivoting, like, like things I've learned, I had no idea. Like I had no clue. I, I, those 700 competitors. Yeah. And what interesting thing about that. So last year, the, the revenue was, I think it was like $18 billion, which a lot wow. of people surprised it's such, so, so high. Yeah. But, eight, but those 7,200 companies, the top 50 had 70% of their revenue. Wow. So basically those top 50 have a revenue. So we, we want to try to go after that remaining 30%. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of learning and you got to, you know, be willing. You can't be stubborn. You can't say, this is my idea. I'm going to stick with it. You got to be willing to admit, okay, maybe this wasn't the best thing to do. Maybe I should do it like this. Yeah. Well, and I love that earlier on you were saying about the process of learning. Well, one of the things that you've learned is that you've gone from a world of absolutes for many good reasons. The military is very structured and very absolute and there's a singular voice in what they do. Um, and you move into this new realm of the startup and 
one of the things I love that you were saying that you learned is that you learned that there are so many different points of views and your point of view can be completely right or your, your idea can be completely right and someone can approach the same problem from a different angle and they could be completely right. And there's that diversity of voice, diversity of opinion. Uh, how has the process been for you to step into a role where you can have the sole voice, where you kind of make that decision and, and you have the, the choice on what values you have, what uh, you're communicating to your customers. Uh, you have the choice of, of how you solve your problems as we all do as entrepreneurs experience problems and or challenges, I guess is a, a better way to say it. For you, finding that voice where it, the buck stops with you and you kind of make the, the decisions, how has that pivot been? One, one thing I've tried to do, and I did this army too, and, I, and also here, yeah. I, I do my best to be transparent as possible. Right. I try to talk, this is what I'm doing, this is what I want to do. Let me have your input. And one thing I, I would tell people to work from the army and now, like I, I trust your opinion, I value your opinion, however comma, there's going to be time for it and I'm not going to agree with it. Yeah. And I'm going to go my own way. Now, right. I'll, I'll give you every chance to, you know, change my mind and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, the decision will be mine. Right. And, you know, please don't get upset or get mad. Don't take it personally. <laughs> because if I wanted to wait every single time, well, then the company should be yours and not yeah. mine. Yeah. And I, I think that's so powerful because often uh, employees feel like their voice should be heard and it should be heard, but that doesn't mean it should be acted upon. And sometimes you just got to step up and say, no, this is my decision. I've got to make what's right for the business. And I hear what you're saying. And I'm going to go a different way. How can you navigate that issue um, in a positive way so the employees feel like they're valued, but you also step into a place of saying, no, we're making the right decision for, for me and for the business uh, for the future? I mean, that is a, a tricky balance. I mean, you just got to do your best to, to ha have your employees or people that work for you or work with you realize that, you know, you're doing this for the best of the company and the best of everyone. And that, like I said, you know, you do value them. Like for me, I, I do a weekly blog where I do an update on, on Canada's HR, the ups and downs. Right, right. I send it to all employees. I share my calendar with everyone, let them know what I'm doing. I, I try to keep them updated as best I can. And I'm, I think I do my good job of being open and responsive. Like people, they can email me, call me pretty much any time. I'm going to respond and answer their questions. You've made, uh, you know, and we've talked about this a lot. You've made your pivot from... Uh, the military life into the startup life for other people in the military or for maybe on the broader sense, other people that have been employees of an organization, what are some tips that you would encourage them when they're moving into a new season of life for a military person coming back stateside, maybe after a deployment and now they're looking for the next thing for an employee that maybe they've worked their entire career in a business and now they're looking for their next stage. What are some things that you would tell them based on your experience? One thing I would say is expand your network, meet new people, go on LinkedIn, connect with people, okay. go, go to different meetups, go to different meetings. Like there's so much networking things, you know, chamber of commerce, Toastmasters, just go out and meet different people. Go one thing that would always, I, I can never forget when I was transitioning, there'll be like military networking events and we nothing but military people there. I, yeah. I would never understand. Like if you're trying to go into the civilian ward, right. you know, you know, networking is networking is good, but how are they going to help you and how are you going to help them? Right. Go, you know, go somewhere else, meet new people. Right. Tell your story. People want to hear it and people want to help you out, especially if you're a veteran, they want to help. Yeah. You uh, mentioned, and I love this about 
so often when we swim in our own pools, people like us, whether it's uh, a networking event for military people and all you see is military people that are trying to transition to civilian world, uh, or whether it's uh, so often you see these associations where you go in and it's like just a group of lawyers and they're trying to network and grow their business in a network of other attorneys. Uh, I love that, that image of like, you've got to network with the people you want to reach. You don't have to network with other people like you. How have you found the right networks to help grow your business? That's, that's a great question. Basically, like I say, well, I'll, I'll go to an example I used when I was in the Army, a mistake I made. So when I left the Army or transitioning on LinkedIn, I, I connected with a bunch of HR directors, a bunch of VPs of HR. But what I should have been doing is connecting with CEOs, VPs of operations, the people who hire the HR directors. Okay. So that's a, that's a mistake I made in the past, which I, I, was, I was talking to do over. Now I got a lot of great connections with the HR people, but you know, if I'm trying to be HR director, the person <laughs> who me up probably the CEO versus people actually hiring versus the HR, HR director. Right. And you just gotta, you know, be able to put yourself out there, you know? And one thing, another thing about networking events, I never understood. You go to a networking event, it's like five people, like four people go together to a networking event and they, Stand around the table and talk to you the whole time. Right. Well, that's not really networking. No. And I see that all the time too. Yeah. And so what I what I try to do, I'm I'm a I'm an introvert big time. So if I go to a networking event and it's like 30 minutes late, I it's no good for me because I'm just not gonna talk to people. That's who I am. So what I do, I try to go like 10, 15 minutes early and, and be at the front door. And when people come out, I introduce myself to them there and start a conversation there. Oh, that's cool. And you just and you just gotta know, put yourself out of your comfort zone. You go to go to a meeting that you wouldn't never go to before. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, you've obviously had to deal deal with uh, situations that were uncomfortable or filled with fear. Uh, networking for a lot of people is a situation that can be filled with fear. Uh, what are some tips you would give someone who's trying to push the boundaries of what they're comfortable with and step into something that will help them move forward? I think the biggest mistake people do, they'll go networking and they'll say, hello, my name is Michael Smith. I do this. I do this. I'm about this. I need help with this. Blah, blah, blah. What they should be doing is my name is Michael Smith. What is your name and what are you doing? How yeah. can I help you? Or something along those lines. Yeah. And, and put the focus on the person you're meeting and draw things out from him. Yeah. Yeah. One of our uh, dear friends from years of, of the industry we work in uh, always says your audience is your, your hero. You're not the hero. And so always put it back on whoever you're talking to, whether it's a person one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's a group, whether it's um, uh, an entire social media sphere. Uh, just remember that your hero is the audience, the people you're trying to reach. And uh, I love that. That's what you're sharing too, is that uh, when you go to these networking meetings, when you go to other things, you look at them and you want, to engage their story and then become part of their story instead of saying, Hey, I want you to engage me and become part of my story. Yes. That's great advice. As we wrap up this segment of the episode, I, I want to take a moment and make sure that we mention uh, where people can find and connect with you. So how can people find and connect with you? Yes. So I'm all over social media at LinkedIn. I'm Jason Kavnis. on Facebook. I'm Jason Kavnis. On Twitter, it's at Kevinus HR or at Jason, K Jason Kevinus HR. Instagram is at Kevinus HR. And Snapchat, I'm at Kevinus HR and, and at Jason Kevinus HR. And I also have a blog at www.kevinushrblog.com where, where I give updates on my building my company. And as Michael mentioned earlier, I have the Kevinus HR podcast. So I'm, I'm all over the place. 
it's pretty easy to find me. And we'll put links to all of those amazing places to connect up with Jason in the episode notes. Now let's dive into our rapid fire questions with Jason Kavnis. We're back with Jason Kavnis. Jason, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yes. Cool. All right. So the first question is, what is one tip you'd give someone with a big idea or dream and they don't know where to start? I would say two words. Just start. I mean, there's never going to be a perfect time. It's never going to be the right situation. Someone's always going to be telling you not to do this, not to do that. You just have to start. And, you know, first of all, tell people about your idea and just go out there and just start, you know, start learning. I mean, is there, is there even a market for your, for your idea? How are you going to grow it? There's so, much, so many things to do. So just start. Love that. What is one change you'd like to see in the world? So actually there's a couple. The first thing is inconsiderate people. Okay. Like, it just drives me crazy. Like you be at a grocery store and somebody be in the middle of the aisle with the shopper Clark cart blocking it on the phone. Can't get around. <laughs> no, you, you go to like, you go to Starbucks and the person is right in front of the, the creamer station. They don't move. Yeah. And it's, it's just like over and people just are in a bubble, like no one else matters. Yeah. And another pet peeve of mine is people who think they're important, but they're really not. You know, the type of people, oh, I'm the VP of this. I'm the director of this. I have a first class ticket to this. I'm important. Well, no, you're really not important. You know, you, to me, you're only important if, if you have other people get better. Wow. That's powerful. What do you want your legacy to be? For me, that's, that's pretty simple. I just want the, when people meet me, that somehow they became better from knowing from me. Either I did something from them or... I did something that made their lives get better, made them become better people. Very, very fun. Where do you find inspiration? I mean, I find it everywhere. I think in everyday life, you can find inspiration. And people are doing some amazing things. Unfortunately, it's not really in the news a lot. Yeah. So um, I listen to this uh, a Facebook Live video every day called Nas, Nas Daily. This guy, um, I believe he's from, from Palestine or Israel. He does like a one minute video every day. Yeah, I think I've seen he, him. And he, travels, yeah. and he travels the world. Like one day he did an episode of this guy he asked this guy, he was this, he, one of his guests was a backpacker in India. So he asked the child, what do you want? He said, I just want a pencil. So now this guy has, has done a nonprofit worth, like, it has built, like, I think, like 2,000 schools throughout the, throughout the world wow. based on that kid asking for a pencil. Wow. And this is just so many things out there in the world, but we just, you all, we, we just hear the bad news, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What is one book you think every dreamer or entrepreneur should read and why? Yes. Yeah, so there's a book called the instance, the essence of leadership by Mac Anderson. And it's really a, a small book, but I just like the things he says in it is what it does. I have like a saying and like a little paragraph explaining it. Some things he says is leaders should walk the talk, you know, keep it simple, celebrate success. Another one, don't be afraid to go out on the limb because that's where the fruit is. And the book it's maybe like 40 pages long. It's just things like that all through the book like that. That's super cool. Super, super cool. What is one tool that is significant for the success of your business? So I'm going to kind of cheat on this. I'm going to give three answers. Okay. For me, I use, I'm a big fan of um, Asana, Evernote, or Slack. Yeah. And I have, the, I have them all, all um, integrated with my Slack channel. I'm just, I'm just a big fan of that. Asana, I pretty much run the company off Asana. I have all the products broken down. That way, another no, no way to be transparent, everyone has access to everything. So even if you're a software developer, you go see the marketing team is doing it and vice versa. And you see, you see how long it's taking with people. You know, Slack's another way to be transparent. And I use Evernote because, as you know, you know, you have ideas all the time. So I just open, click up the Evernote and, and write it down. So those are my big three right there. Yeah, great tools, great tools. What's one habit that you find helpful in your life as an entrepreneur? So for me, it's, it's being the ability to focus on things. Okay. As you know, there's a lot of clutter in the startup world, yeah. all the things that I focus on. Yeah. 
And so I think I, I do it now. Do I do a good job of focusing on the right things every day? That's probably another, another question, you know, <laughs> I might not be able to do a good job of that. But I'm able to like, sometimes it's, you know, like block things down. And, okay. I need to do this right now. Just focus on that. Yeah. How do you start and finish your day? So I know the answer should be, you know, I wake up and I meditate or I read a passage <laughs> or I stretch. Yeah. But unfortunately, I know this is wrong and I, I'm trying to break this habit. I just can't right now. Is I wake up, I look at the cell phone, I go to sleep, I look at my cell phone. Okay. I, I know that's not the right thing to do, but I just, that's something I definitely got to work on. Okay. And how do you finish your day? Uh, basically, like on the cell phone, I'll, I'll check a message or check something. Okay. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing? I would be working on someone else's startup. I would help, be helping someone else realize their dream. Okay. So you really love the world of startups then? Yes. Like, like people ask me all the time, what do you do on your time off? I work. What do you do for fun? I work. What do you do on vacation? I work. Funny. That's awesome. What is one dream you're still wanting to fulfill in your own life? So for me, I've, I've had a pretty good life so far. I mean, okay. I've pretty much fulfilled a lot of things already. I mean, I always want to be a United States Army officer. I feel that dream, have a great family. Because the army, I was able to travel to different places all over Europe, Thailand, Europe, you know, all those kind of things. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I've, I've, led a, I've led a pretty fulfilled life yeah. so far. Yeah. And there's nothing out there that I would say, well, man, I want to do this. Okay. As we wrap up today's episode, what's one last thought you would love to live, leave our audience with? I would just say, I mean, just, just start. Okay. If you have a dream, follow it. All right. I mean, this, this, I mean, if you have a passion, follow it. I mean, make something happen. You know, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. Right. You never know what tomorrow brings. Right. If you have an opportunity, go for it. Yeah. Jason, it's been a lot of fun talking to you today. Thanks for taking time out, sharing your story, and also giving us some insights into the world of HR and startups. No, thank you, Mike, for having me. I really appreciate it. it was a lot of, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You know,